This episode is brought to you by Get Mobile ID, the smart choice for MDL implementations. Put citizens in control with Get Mobile ID, fully ISO compliant and UL certified for all transaction modes. Learn more at getgroupna.com. Welcome to AnvaCast, bringing news, information, and expertise to the Anva community. Now celebrating our 90th anniversary. Here's your host, Ian Grossman. Enjoy the show. Welcome back, everyone. This week, I am pleased to welcome to our conversation Captain Justin Cromer from the Ohio State Highway Patrol. Captain, welcome to the conversation. Thanks for having me. So I've asked Justin here because uh, I just watched him give a presentation, and they won an AMVA award for some of the activities that the aviation division of the Ohio State Highway Patrol is involved in. And we don't think about talking much about what's happening in the skies in the AMVA world, but it's because what's happening in the skies in Ohio is directly supporting roadway safety in Ohio. So let's set, set the stage. Ohio, not all state patrols have robust aviation divisions. Is that the right phrase, aviation division? Yes, sir, that's accurate. Uh, so tell me a little bit of the history, because I was intrigued when you said yesterday about really how far back the aviation activities in Ohio go. Yeah, I've always been impressed with the legacy of the Ohio State Highway Patrol's aviation section. That's part of what drew me to this profession, and specifically with my desire to want to join the aviation section from the beginning. So the aviation section has been around since 1948. The Ohio State Highway Patrol was formed in 1933, same Mm -hmm. as AMVA. And what I find extremely interesting is that from the very first academy class, they recruited, specifically recruited a barnstormer by the name of Ernie Webb with the vision of creating an aviation section down the road. Yeah, so that's amazing. They're thinking about it almost at the same time. They're just inventing airplanes and flying. That's right. right. These things even haven't been around for maybe a decade or two at that point. I'm probably showing my ignorance of aviation history. Uh, nevertheless, it's in the early days anyway you cut it. It is, yes, sir. And so why, why do you think they were recognizing it that early on? Uh, I think the advantages that you, you get from an aviation uh, perspective is – um, is manifold. Like the the aerial advantage that you can, uh, the field of view where you're able to see so much of what's going on, I think contributed to that uh, that desire. Um, and in fairness, I don't know that they ever thought in 1933 what would we become today. Sure, of course. Not. Um, uh, clearly, but um, but having that vision to to make ourselves better and to give ourselves more operational advantages. Uh, I think is probably what drove that that mindset. And so when we talk about, I made the comment, it's a robust uh, division. Help scale that for me, size of the operation of the aviation division. Sure. Well, when it comes to airborne law enforcement units, um, I, I believe this is still accurate. I believe we are the largest in terms of fleet size east of the Mississippi. Okay. Uh, we have 11 Cessna 182s that we use primarily for traffic enforcement. We have a, uh, a Cessna caravan, uh, a Gibbs Aero air van, so that makes up our airplane side. And then we have three A-Star helicopters that makes up our rotary fleet. So we have quite the fleet uh, to support the state of Ohio. Okay. And so let's talk about how you use that that fleet to support a number of missions. You know, I remember you showed a slide and there was about at least a dozen different types of missions, some more directly connected to, say, the AMVA community than 
other parts of law enforcement. Yeah, absolutely. The, the array of missions that we do is extremely wide, uh, and that's on purpose. Mm -hmm. We, you know, aviation is not an inexpensive asset, so you mm -hmm. have this need of continuing to justify why you're around. And so we try to provide the widest array of, of airborne law enforcement assets to the state of Ohio. And even beyond law enforcement, we say airborne public safety assets because we don't just do it for ourselves. Mission sets that maybe people don't give thought to um, when it comes to airborne law enforcement. Mm -hmm. uh, clearly, everybody thinks about traffic enforcement and maybe the criminal searches, but they don't necessarily think about some of the other elements. For example, uh, natural disaster, uh, mm -hmm. when a tornado or something along those lines comes through Ohio, mm -hmm. we're the first ones up after the storm passes to provide an aerial vantage point to give the EMA you know, mm -hmm. uh, an idea of the scale of of the uh, disaster over what's yeah. going on. They can get resources, the resources that they need on a more timely basis if they have more accurate information. Sure. And so that's where we provide that. Other areas that you maybe don't think about, um, within the ATC sector, aviation as a whole, one of the bigger issues that has come up recently has been laser strikes. Mm -hmm. People use lasers and they'll try to um, target aircraft. Oh, sure, yes, and, yes, uh, yes. And there are, there are very, very few entities out there that can really uh, make an effect or, or you know mitigate that we are one of them we have uh, you know laser protection for our pilots and our flight crew members and we can go out and and uh, look for those uh, laser oh, incidents so you're that's usually you get a, maybe a complaint through maybe a commercial aircraft that sees something and you're able to go and investigate it really identify locate the person yeah and then I assume not unlike some of these other missions you're then communicating that back to the ground to say, okay, here's where they are, go get them. Yes, that's absolutely correct. And, and actually a step beyond that, uh, we coordinate on a monthly basis with our local air traffic controllers trying to be proactive in that regime mm -hmm. so that they give us a big picture of where these are happening. If we can identify trends, we'll go fly those areas, as bad as it sounds, hoping to get hit, because if we get hit, that gives uh, us a really good chance of, of engaging uh, ground units. So, and, and you brought up the other thing, and it's 100% it's right. We are a support element. We do not exist without the officers on the ground doing their job. Right. We are a support element for them. Uh, in and of ourselves, we really it's can't really do a whole little lot. little you can do once you're That's up right. there. You can see what's going on, you can locate what's going on, but you're not gonna go and land in their driveway and exactly. give them a rest. Right? Yes, sir, exactly right. <laughs> so uh, let's talk about how the traffic safety piece works and how you serve as a support in that in that function. So we've been doing traffic enforcement in the Ohio State Highway Patrol for uh, since the early 60s. Uh, we started experimenting with airspeed operations at that time, uh, saw it as a very vi viable tool to you know impact in a positive way the traffic safety picture and we've been doing traditional airspeed methods which is uh, you know quarter mile increment zones marked on the roadways using right. a stopwatch recording average speeds for that, those quarters and engaging ground units we've been doing that since the 1960s uh, we feel like that's a very um, robust tool when it comes to being able to effectively uh, uh, you know, look at the traffic picture and, and spot out the most aggressive drivers. And uh, we've had a lot of success with that over the years, all the way back to the 60s. Being very innovative and trying to push forward uh, and, and capitalize on the new technology, this is where this geo-referenced vehicle speed measurement system came in. And essentially what that does is it mirrors our traditional airspeed operations, but rather than having marked lines on the roads and using a stopwatch for the timing, we're using the internal set of the camera to identify points on the ground, distance measurements using the camera, and the timing function of the mapping system 
to basically create a virtual airspeed zone, if you will, that can be moved anywhere in the state at any time. So as opposed to being restricted by the roads that are marked, you could choose at any time to fly over a road and using this technology, all of a sudden start mapping the vehicles and it tells you who's going too fast rather than you having to calculate with a stopwatch. Exactly right. Yes, sir. And so how does then, with that information that you're collecting on board, what's the relationship to the patrol on the ground, to the resources on the ground, to get them that information and to deploy them? So that, that's the beauty of it. It really doesn't change, right? We're always engaging with the local um, post units, and not only with, within the patrol, but I mentioned yesterday, three out of every four missions are with our partnering agencies. Mm. So not only with the highway patrol, but we partner with all of our local agencies when it comes to traffic enforcement as well. And we kind of put the onus on them to identify uh, their crash picture and let us know where they're having problems. Mm. Once they identify that, we'll move to that area. We set up details where we've got their officers engaged with our flight crews, and then we can start working our traffic in those areas with the goal of again of re reducing those fatal crashes reducing any crashes really sure. trying to slow down the uh, the drivers um, and, and make a positive impact in their traffic picture you, you also shared that not only are you relaying information back down there's actually now with the newer technology the ability for a live feed that's right yeah talk me through how that works yeah so that's called downlink and essentially on a on a uh, small scale what that is is just taking the image from the aircraft and putting it in the hands of anybody on the ground what it looks like for us is we're installing an infrastructure all the way across the state of Ohio uh, whereby the uh, the video image from the aircraft is being transmitted to a ground-based receiver it's being uploaded to the virtual cloud that we all know mm -hmm. about and then it's uh, accessible through a secure site if somebody has the correct credentials sure. um, and from any internet accessible device. So that can be a desktop, a laptop, it can be your cell phone, a tablet, an MCT within the car. You know, the, the possibilities are endless when it comes to accessing that, but that's a, a near real-time live feed of what's going on. And, you know, that can apply to traffic uh, safety. It can also apply to any of the critical incidents that we handle throughout the state. Uh, once that infrastructure is completed, we anticipate May of next year, uh, we'll be the only, only the second state in the nation to have the entire state geographically covered by downlink, meaning oh, yeah. anywhere our aircraft go, you have the option of pulling up and seeing the feed of, what, of what's happening. So you say second. So do you know who the first was? Tennessee was the first. Oh, okay. Yes, sir. Okay. Very good. Well, we'll give them a little props out there for doing that. Um, in the early deployment of this, you know, there's all the missions that you expected to use it in. Have there been any unexpected use cases where, you know, like, oh, we didn't really design this technology to be able to use it for this, but this is a great fit? So, great, great question. Uh, when we first started, we were just initially thinking about the way we do traffic enforcement presently. And we were thinking about expanding that. Really what, uh, what, what prompted this a few years back was the construction zone, the work zones, where you have a, you know, very narrow lanes, very difficult to work. A number of our con uh, ODOT construction workers uh, were putting their lives at risk out on the highways, you know, working beside that. A number of them were, were struck by vehicles. And, and so we started looking at the feasibility of installing airspeed zones in those work zones, but that's very, very difficult as well because somebody at some point has to get out there and paint those lines. So that's what really prompted the whole idea. Um, then from there, 
well, why are we restricting ourselves just to the work zones? Why don't we look at these metropolitan areas where you've got heavy you know, uh, vehicle congestion mm -hmm. uh, and again, areas that are near impossible to work in the traditional methods from the ground, the aerial vantage point provides a safe platform that we can still engage those aggressive drivers and, you know, and follow them out to a safe location that the officers can stop. Mm -hmm. From there, it kind of expanded in what we call our proactive patrol operation. And when we work proactive patrols, those are again, our targeted areas uh, where we're, we're looking at uh, uh, trying to reduce violent crime and we're working with specific officers. And the challenge in those regimes has always been the flight crews can see that a vehicle's speeding, but they don't have any tangible evidence to give to the ground officers in terms of probable cause to say, I have that vehicle checked mm -hmm. with an official device that's traveling mm -hmm. you know, 70 miles an hour in a marked 25 mile an hour zone, this is a good vehicle to stop. They would simply say before, it looks like it's traveling at a high rate of speed. You need to develop your own probable cause. Mm -hmm. Now the officers can give probable cause to those ground officers, which allow them to engage that vehicle uh, quickly. And, and so the ex expanding the, the areas beyond the traditional thoughts of where we traditionally work airspeed and bringing it into the violent crime sector has been uh, something that we've been pushing for as well. I suspect that the ability to capture that and record it has also been maybe a planned benefit or unexpected benefit, either way a benefit in terms of for those cases that have to go to court and there needs to be the proof and the evidence. Um, it's pretty solid like here, here it is here's it is. here's the video yeah and that's always been a, a challenge with traditional airspeed operations because the way we've traditionally uh, done it in the past is uh, you have a pilot and an aircraft right and so they're watching uh, outside looking for air traffic they're flying the aircraft they're trying to look on the ground look for vehicles and they're trying to coordinate those traffic stops with the units there's no safe way they can also record what they're doing mm. and so bringing the recorded element that evidence if you will into the picture has done exactly what you said it has uh, reduced those court cases to the point that um, as, as bad as it sounds because it is a newer method and we're kind of baby stepping into this in Ohio, we're looking for judicial opinion, judicial notice of, of the process. And as of yet, not a single person has been willing to take this to trial. Because as oh, soon as they see they the video, see what, what's yeah. the point in arguing it? And so that, that produces uh, more free time for the units that would normally be tied up in court. We can use that free time to then make ourselves more operational effective, yeah. Yeah, yeah. efficient. So you mentioned this idea that it's one officer in the sky doing all this is that generally true of all the aircraft that it's a one person operation that is traditional airspeed operations that's that's how it has traditionally been uh, i know for ohio and most of the other states that, it, that are doing traditional airspeed operations that's the way it's been again with this new method we have two in the aircraft okay. we have the pilot and what we call the tactical flight officer and that person is uh, running the sensor running the mapping system doing all the calculations and uh, and, and radioing that information yeah. down to the ground officers which again brings greater safety to the flight crew now you have sure. a pilot just worry about flying the aircraft and not trying to multitask and in the event that the vehicle we're trying to stop decides not to stop and we end up with a pursuit now you have the perfect mitigation tool to, to handle that pursuit, right? So pr pursuits and policies of high-speed pursuits has been a hot topic of conversation in the law enforcement community. How does this technology and the ability to deploy the air support change the conversation around 
high-speed pursuits. It dramatically changes it to the point that uh, a number of agencies in Ohio have kind of rewritten their pursuit policy, if you will, to say that if aviation is involved, this allows them to continue to either actively or passively follow or pursue the vehicle. Mm -hmm. um, uh, uh, when you know, I talk about these proactive patrol operations, these target areas where we have a uh, statistically very high likelihood of pursuits, we are there specifically for the risk mitigation piece of those. Um, and when we're not able to fly because of you know weather or maintenance or whatever reason, the scope of that operation changes dramatically. Uh, the ground units. Uh, in many cases are not allowed to pursue because they're in very highly congested areas. Um, and, and unfortunately, most of those violators get away. Mm. And so bringing the air asset into that allows the units to, uh, you know, attempt a traffic stop. If the, if the vehicle doesn't stop, we immediately call it, we have it, the units disengage, you know, kind of the, the rule of thumb that we use and we tell the officers on the ground, listen, if you're on the ground and you can see the violator, you're too close. We're going to call off exactly where you need to go. We're trying to slow down uh, the erratic driving behavior. And if the, uh, if the individual that we're pursuing doesn't think anyone's pursuing them anymore, nine times out of 10, the driving patterns come down to a, a more reasonable level they're never right. really reasonable but so you could still monitor where they're going but the chance that their behavior then creates a secondary or incident with another crash because of their higher speeds more erratic behavior it is protecting everyone else while still keeping an eye on the person fleeing that's right risk mitigation that's what yeah. it's all about risk to the officer risk to the individual fleeing but more importantly risk to the general public you know we're working in yeah. their areas trying to make their community safer and uh, I know I'm biased, but I feel like aviation is the perfect tool yeah. to do that. Now, in a, in a linear scenario where you're already doing the geospatial tracking and you call it down and then it results in a pursuit, you're obviously already there watching the vehicle. Right. In a scenario where aviation is not involved in the initial incident and then it becomes a pursuit, do you have the ability to react quickly and then engage with aviation support once a pursuit is started even if there's not an aircraft already in the air? We do. Um, and, and that's kind of been what you just described has kind of been the evolution of where we were versus where we are. Um, years ago, we were a very reactive unit waiting for a pursuit to happen and then launching from one of our bases to try to intercept the pursuit and to try to, to mitigate it. Um, however, a lot of pursuits are very over very quickly. And unless you're over that scene, uh, in a, By the time you get up and you're there, it's, it's, it's too late, exactly. Which is why we've tried to move from reactive to proactive. We started doing that by saying, okay, if there's a uh, violent crime detail in this specific area, rather than staging at our traditional base, let's stage at the local airport. And then from there it evolved to, we're still behind the eight ball. Mm -hmm. We still need to be more engaged. So let's actually be flying over top of, uh, of the units in the area and we'll engage them that way. And that has been the game changer, right? We're, um, we're proactively helping them patrol the area and we engage these uh, pursuits in a very short time versus being on the ground. Um, and again, the, the, the risk mitigation piece is, is huge. That's why we're doing so it. Is that happening because do, would it be safe to say, I listen to you talk, I'm wondering, pursuits happen maybe a lot more often and regularly than the general public recognizes. That's 100% right. And most of them are terminated very quickly because you have to weigh out the risk of capture versus what the violation 
that you know is, right? So so when you say termination, it could be choosing just let them go, it's not worth it. Absolutely right. And that's uh, honestly, I don't have the stats to support you, sure. but that's most of the pursuits that the public never knows about. Either the direct officer engaged or the officer supervisor or the chain of command, someone has said, uh, looked at that scenario and said, uh, it's not it's not worth right. the risk to the public to, to capture this when all we have is a minor misdemeanor violation. Gotcha. Because that, that rare occasion of where cable news is cutting in and, you know, it's got their own news copper up there, chopper up there, you know, covering the pursuit. It's happening a multiplier of times more than what Absolutely you know, the right. public is seeing. Yes, sir. Interesting. And, and that's, a, that's you know, a shout out to all the law enforcement officers, certainly in Ohio and across the country. Uh, every law enforcement officer is weighing that out in their mind as they engage uh, violators. And, and again, most are terminated very quickly because it's, it's not worth the risk to the public for what they know. Yeah. And when you talk about being more proactive in monitoring the, the area, what does that end up meaning in terms of days, hours that aircrafts are up in the air proactively monitoring, whether it's looking for a speeder or just keeping an eye on stuff so that you're ready to react if something happens? And so that's a, another great uh, point, uh, a good segue, if you will, from where we were reactive to where yeah. we are proactive. Because aviation assets are not inexpensive, there's kind of two mindsets when it comes to the operation of those. One is these are very expensive assets. Uh, we don't need to be calling them out for small incidents. Let's, let's make sure it's something big before we call them out because we don't want to wear them out. Yeah. The other side of that, and that's kind of where we were before, kind of where we are today is these are very expensive assets. Why are they sitting in the hangar? Why aren't they out there you know, being used to uh, do what they do best for the public? So for us, what that looks like, um, again, not only in, in helping the citizens of Ohio, but also creating stronger partnerships with our local agencies mm -hmm. is, is we routinely reach out to the agencies. They routinely reach out to us. We have a good relationship now where we'll set predetermined uh, dates and times throughout the month, usually you know ahead of each month, um, and, and those are scheduled times that we'll schedule our flight crews to go out and support that. Those details uh, vary depending on the agency, but they can span from uh, two hours in length to six to eight hours in length, and we'll dedicate flight crews to those pre-scheduled details. Um, because we are uh, really the only airborne law enforcement asset for the entire state, uh, any higher priority call sometimes can take precedence depending on what it is. Sure. For us, at any given time, um, usually we'll have one active aircraft out flying. Mm. Um, but, but again, it kind of depends on the day and the, and the staffing and yeah. those kind of things. And how, I'm just curious, how long of a tour usually, like will an aircraft go up before they come back and maybe trade out for somebody else? Yeah, so uh, by our safety management system rules and by what the FAA puts out, uh, we limit all of our flight crews to no more than eight hours of flight time in a given shift. And so they're not uh, up for eight hours at a time, not at a time. Correct. Yeah. They, the helicopters, as an example, can go three to three and a half hours before they need to refuel. Mm -hmm. um, the airplanes can go a little bit longer. Mm -hmm. uh, but depending on what the operation is, kind of dictates how long they're going to be out for stretches. Yeah. We, in general, try to keep them around the two hour mark, okay. you know, get, go up for two hours, come down, refuel take a quick break and you know go back up and, and we try to to work those two hour rotations into the details but it, it depends on the details sometimes it's three hours long sometimes it's an hour sure sure 
sure, sure. It makes sense. So are you also a, a pilot by your background? Yes, sir. Both on the Cessna and the helicopter side? I am. Prior to joining the patrol, uh, I went through the University of Cincinnati's flight program and uh, finished my bachelor's degree at Embry-Riddle. Uh, I was a flight instructor at the University of Cincinnati. Uh, when I saw a patrol pilot fly in one day, that's what piqued uh, my interest in trying to determine what I wanted to do. So you knew on the fly, you just didn't know where or how or with who. That's right. And uh, once the, once that individual flew in, had some conversation, I from that day on, I was kind of set, like, that's what that's I want to do. Joined the patrol with the intent of, of flying for them. Um, and right out of probation, a remote pilot position in my area opened up. I was very fortunate, able to, uh, to, to jump into that position with my credentials. And then from there, I've moved up. So... Um, uh, you know, I'm a flight instructor in both uh, helicopters and airplanes, uh, as well as an instrument instructor in both and a commercial pilot on both sides. So um, I don't fly as regularly as I'd like. None of us do. but Because right. now you're managing more of the operations yeah. than, than running the operations. Right. But, yeah. but, yeah, we do everything. That's great. Well, um, anything about this program that you want? folks in the ANVA community know about that we haven't had a chance to touch upon? Um, no, I think we've hit it all pretty well. Just know that, you know, as, as time moves on, we're always looking for those new innovative ways of incorporating not only new technology, maybe new uh, procedures and operations into what we currently do. Uh, if we're not reflecting on what we're currently doing, we'll never make ourselves better, right? And and that's the goal. We're, we want to be the we want to be the best, uh, and we want to we do it in a servant type attitude to where the citizens of Ohio are benefiting from from our efforts. And you mentioned you know use Tennessee as one example, and you said you're the largest the east of the the Mississippi, but that means there's significant states that have similar type operations in other parts of the country. Are you able to get together with those colleagues and compare aviation operations in other states? Absolutely, yeah, we do that on several fronts. Um, uh, the Airborne Public Safety Association provides a good uh, medium for, for that, uh, as well as uh, outside of my regular job duties. I'm also on the uh, International Association of Chiefs of Police. I sit as the chair of the Aviation Committee. Oh, okay. So that's that's one of those tools yeah. that's really good to engage all the other uh, airborne public safety assets. Within that realm, that's a pretty small community. When you think about yeah. all the law enforcement officers sure. at large, and because it's a smaller community, uh, I don't want to say everyone knows everyone, but yeah. uh, certainly there's a lot more of that than than what it is on a large scale. And because of that, um, we're always swapping ideas. And um, I'll use the example Texas DPS. We have we have learned a lot from them. We have adapted a lot of their methodologies yeah. to our operations. And we've seen a lot of success in that. Uh, but certainly, all the other ones across the country are. Yeah. Nope. I suspect them and probably, I would imagine California probably has quite a large operation. And I imagine both of those is probably a lot on the on the border that they do with that, with those aviation patrols. All the time. That's another podcast for another day, no, no doubt. Um, is there any public safety agency with a large aviation presence that isn't a jurisdictional law enforcement agency? You know, I think maybe like this, the New York City Police Department might have their an aviation division or yeah or, or LAPD the big the big municipal uh, police departments that might might not just be the state patrol state highway agencies that have these public safety aviation departments yeah actually if you look at the the bigger cities um, and, and their air assets you would sum those together I believe that's going to be a bigger picture than what the state assets are going to be right. um, and and I know a lot of them will use New York City as the example right in addition to serving New York City they'll also partner with the surrounding 
areas. Same way for us in uh, Ohio, I mentioned Columbus PD. Right. They have a very active uh, airborne law enforcement unit. They don't serve just Columbus, but they'll help all the surrounding you know, uh, cities in the Columbus area, but they're not going to venture all the way out to Toledo. Right, and so that's kind of where and Cincinnati, I guess, might be the other one that might have. So they the, did have Hamilton yeah. County Sheriff's Office did have, but because of the cost and because of the personnel, it's very difficult right now uh, to find flight crews. There's a big pilot shortage all across the country. Yeah. So personnel, uh, particularly skilled personnel in those areas are very difficult to come by. Yeah. And they were forced to shut down because of that. Yeah. So, yeah, um, yeah when you when you think of Cleveland, Cincinnati, Cleveland, yeah. Cleveland, Cincinnati, Columbus would be the three that I think right. in Ohio would have the potential right. for having them. Yeah. Interesting. Great. Well, thanks for chatting with me about it today. It was fascinating, not an area that had really hit my radar previously, and so I thought others will enjoy listening and learning about it as well. Absolutely. My pleasure, and feel free to share my contact information with whoever. I'm happy I'm to sure chat with anybody about what we do. Great. Thank you all for listening this week. Thanks to our producers, Claire Jeffrey and Chelsea Hadwin. Till next week, stay well. Thank you for joining us for AmbaCast, hosted by Ian Grossman, produced by Claire Jeffrey and Chelsea Hadwin, music by Gibson Arthur. This episode was brought to you by Get Mobile ID by Get Group North America. Visit us at amvacast.podbean.com and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify.